Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is, has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your words would speak over us, that your spirit would move. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. So these um, churchy acts, these righteous thingies that we do, that we come together to profess that apart from you, um, they're just other forms of selfish pride. And so we pray that you'd strip that from us and that we'd be authentic before you and we'd come to you as children who love you, who recognize our need for you, and be redeemed by you. Teach us what it means to believe in your love. We pray that your word would continue to uh, move in us, that we would be drawn to contrition. Thank you, Father. Amen. You can be seated. So John, in his gospel, used something called amplification. I can only say assimilation. Um, a lot of times, and this gets kind of Bible nerdy, but in a lot of Bible things, when you study the Bible, you start looking at different writing styles. Similar to, you don't read narrative in the same way you read poetry. Right? Because if you read them the same way, you struggle, and it feels really different. Um, in fact, poems are really terrible if you read them as narrative, not just how they're written. Uh, but you all get this right now. English lesson day, but don't go into it. But here's the basic point. So um, John uses amplification. If you were to read John and just think that he's going to talk to you about this is this, and then there's this point, and then this point, and because of this, you have this, but not this, that's not how John writes. Uh, you'll get some of that if you just sat right down and read all through it together, right? Take about 12 to 18 minutes. Uh, so if you don't think you have time to read the Bible, you have 12 or 18 minutes to read First John. Depending on how fast you read, if you're as fast as talkers I am, you can do it in about 11 and a half. But uh, you sit and you read First uh, John, you'll get this idea of assimilation where he has a couple ideas that he circles around. So you can kind of imagine these ideas floating out here like love and light and life and truth. And John just circles them. He just keeps running around over and over and over because he wants to push these ideas over and over and over. He doesn't need to say this plus this plus this equals this. He just wants to keep saying these things are true. He's going to keep doing that over and over. One of the first ones we're going to talk about today and emphasize a lot is love. And we cannot talk about love without defining terms because love is one of the most confusing, frustrating, hurtful, and powerful things in our society and has been in societies forever. Right? Just like Helen of Troy and all other stories we can think of, love causes people to do ridiculous, wild, awful things. And anyone that's ever loved us has also hurt us the most because that's how love is. Love is vulnerability. So, at the risk of me making some weird joke and singing what is love and popping my head, instead of that, we're going to do a game. Alright? Because you guys want to have a game, right? No, that's okay. You're going to. It's going to be great. So, we have two volunteers uh, who are voluntold to help out and they're really excited for this. If your name is Ridley Spencer, Riley Spencer, can you stand right here? And if you're Scott Boring, can you stand right here? 
simple. Um, this, uh, you guys are Scott's uh, accountability affirmation. You guys are Riley's affirmation accountability. Here's what's going to happen. Riley is going to go first, right? When I say three, two, one, go, because that's how CrossFit competitions are, three, two, one, you go. Then Riley has to start singing any song that has the word love in it. Right? And she has five seconds to come up with that song. That's it. And as soon as she starts singing it, if you guys affirm that that song, yes, that's a song, that has the word love in it, then you guys affirm and clap. Now, from that moment, Scott has five seconds to do the exact same thing. It has to be a different song. At any moment, again, you guys will affirm him, you'll clap. Riley has five seconds to go, right? We bounce back and forth like Pong. As soon as one of them cannot think of a song that has the word love in it within five seconds, or they repeat a song that's already been done, they're out. You guys got it? Can I take suggestions from no. my life? Yes. Is it five seconds after they clap? Or five seconds after she starts singing? After they clap, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Then, okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm all ready to work out. So, let's go. So, are you ready? Three, two, one, go, Riley! Uh, I love rock and roll. Everybody loves sound. Ultimate, for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. That's C.S. Lewis. 
Now, even in those quotes, even in the songs we talked about, love is tricky. We all would struggle right now to define love. Before we start talking about what we're going to get into in First John, we've got to define what love is, right? Uh, and so when you think about love, I can stand up here and I can say, I love workouts with power cleans in it. Man, those are my favorites. Give me a workout power cleans, I'm going to wreck it. I love tiramisu. I love the youth group here. Uh, I love magicians and magic tricks. Ooh, it gets me fired up. Uh, I love my wife, right? But... Okay, that's tricky now, because obviously I love my wife in a somewhat different way than I love tiramisu, or at least I hope so, right? And so love, again, gets really tricky. When we look at the Bible, it says what? God is, ah, right, we're in church, right? Obviously God is love, that's the rule, right? God is love. 1 John 4, 8, later on, John's going to make this argument. He says, whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is, right, 1 John 4.16, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. So we know this. We know God is love. The Bible tells us that. These are the words of God. God is love. What does that mean? What, what do we understand about God's love? What can we see in action for that? Uh, well, the first obvious famous verse, John wrote this. Jesus said it. John saw it. He wrote it down. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, Ephesians 2.4, but uh, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even we were dead in our transgressions and sin. It's by grace you've been saved. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the truth about love. If you want to define love, you have to look to Jesus. You can't not look to Jesus. But again, that gets really up here because Jesus did some weird, difficult, uncomfortable things. If you want a definition of love, I'll give it to you right now. Love is always commitment and sacrifice. Always. Anything else you want to define love in will dwindle down and depend on those things. How do we know that? Because God was so committed to us, and he loved us so much, his commitment comes out through his sacrifice of sending his son. Jesus loved the Father, loved us so much that he sacrificed his life because of his commitment to us, right? I love tiramisu, but my commitment and sacrifice to tiramisu is grossly different than the, uh, my commitment and love for my wife, I hope, right? And we all know this because if we start getting deeper into it, now we can start cutting to the heart. We've all had experiences where someone has maybe said they don't love us anymore. Or maybe you've heard this. I mean, we live in a culture full of broken marriages. Maybe you've been in a situation, I don't feel in love with you anymore. Oh, man. You ever heard that? That cuts your core. What are they saying? Have you ever said that? You felt like, I don't feel in love anymore. No, no, no. Love is not a feeling you fall out of. Love is something you climb into. You don't fall in love, all right? I push this with the youth a lot because of how broken and confused we are about relationships. You don't fall in love. You fall into infatuation. You fall into lust. You fall into excitement, arousal. You don't fall into love. You climb into love because love is commitment and sacrifice. And so if someone ever says to you, I don't feel in love with you anymore, if you ever feel like saying, I just don't feel in love anymore, what you're saying is, I no longer have the commitment to make the sacrifices worthy of loving you. Worthy of loving this thing. I know we just went from singing uh, Whitney Houston now to being in this deep, dark place of all of us going, man, I've heard that before. I've heard someone say they don't love me, right? That's a deep thing. But we need to hear that when we're going to start talking about what love means in the Bible. When we start wrestling with the love of God, with God loving us, God having commitment and sacrifice for us, then 
there's probably already people in this room, a room this size especially, that might start feeling like, you know, I don't really feel much love for God. Maybe you don't feel much love from God, but you'd certainly say, maybe I, right now I don't feel much love for God. Before we get into John, there are two things I want to call out. Maybe, uh, maybe the reason that you might not feel love for God in your life when we start talking about love in the Scripture is because you're not born again. Maybe you don't know Jesus, right? If you're in this room and you feel like maybe you don't love God, you don't have commitment and sacrifices towards Him, more on that later, then maybe it's because you don't know Him. Maybe you are a cultural Christian or a hereditary Christian. And again, I don't want to put doubt and disbelief on you, but again, we're, we're going to talk about First John, and we're going to talk about loving the world and, and not loving the world and loving God. We've got to define what love is, and we've got to call out this veneer that we have in Western America about Christianity. So many people here, and if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say this to you. There are people here that believe that they are Christians, but are not. It's just the way we work in our society. We have this veneer that says to us, you know what? Uh, my parents are Christians. I've always gone to church. I do religious things. I do righteous things. Of course I tithe. Of course I attend church. But you've never committed and sacrificed to Christ. You've never accepted His commitment and sacrifice to you. Therefore, when it comes to obtaining all of your, or orienting all of your life around Christ, that's not what you're about. When it comes to saying all authority has been given to Christ, no, 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 that's just something I do on Sunday. That's just something that is a compartment of my life, a part of my life, but it's really no different than my commitment to the NRA or my commitment to being a Republican or a Democrat. In fact, if I'm honest, I'm more committed to the NRA than I am to church in Christ. All right, some people are in that place. Sorry if I just offended you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say that, right? Uh, I, need, I need people to hear that. Uh, maybe another reason uh, is that you have been born again at one point. You have saving faith, but your love is growing weak, right? You're trying to serve two masters. You're trying to serve God while also serving the world. We're going to talk more about the world here in a minute, right? What does Jesus say? You can't serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other, right? You can't possibly do it. Whether or not you are, have committed your life to Christ and your love is growing weak, or you've never been working and you've never committed your life to Christ, uh, I want to encourage us with the words of 1 Peter, and then we'll dive into 1 John. Peter says this, You have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Word of God referring to what we're reading today. The scriptures we're reading, everything in that book in front of your seat, right? This is the Word of God. These are the things that are living and abiding in you. So if you want to be born again, if you want to know Christ, we need to let the living word of God rest on us and pour over us. And that's what we're about to do. But we want to call out right from the beginning. If you're here today, you don't feel love from God, you don't feel connected to God, God's put you here for a reason. God's given you a discomfort for a reason. And we're going to talk about it through the word of God. Not to be motivating you or coursing you. We're going to let the spirit of God move. We're going to look to specifically today at 1 John verses 15, 16, and 17. Tony Evans has some other things to say when we play the video at the end. I want to focus on these verses. So if you want to look at it, I'm going to read them again slowly, or as slow as I can. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're going to take just a real broad stroke here over what John's getting at. John says, do not love the world. Why? Well, because if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Again, you can't serve two masters. You've got two things. You love the world, you love God. Those are your options here. Sorry, that's the way it is. 
Uh, he says, the world's passing away. Of course you wouldn't love the world. It's passing away. You can't love God and love the world and also be foolish to love the world because it's all going away. It's going to be gone. Instead, what should you do? You should love the Father. You should do His will. Why? Because if you love the Father, uh, then you're not loving the world. If you do the will of God, you abide forever. So there are two choices. Uh, you choose the world and you pass away. Everything goes. Uh, or you choose the Father and you abide with Him forever. Um, so we've talked about love, right? We've got that covered. Love is commitment and sacrifice. So either I go, yeah, maybe I was looking for God or Jesus. That's not fair. Every time you say love is, love is commitment and sacrifice. That, that was, I set you up for the wrong one. My bad. Uh, what is the world? The Greek word is cosmos, right? And there's an English word that sounds similar. It is cosmos, right? So when you see the word world, word world, in the Bible, right, it's two, uh, there's, there's maybe five meanings, but we can normally spin around two. There's the meaning in uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, right? This world is talking about all the inhabitants of it, right? Uh, same uh, Greek word, though, can also mean uh, the collection of things in the world, worldly affairs, uh, riches, advantages, pleasures, uh, things that can take us away from God. So you see this in various other parts of Scripture, Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world to be transformed under your mind. So there's things of this world that God loves in order to die for, which are us, humans, people, the inhabitants. But there are also things of this world that we're supposed to not conform to. We're actually supposed to be transformed away from. And then you look at John, he says, do not love these things. John wants us to know that the world is passing away and all the things of it. And John is talking in this one specifically about the worldly affairs, right, these things. So what are the things of this world? He uses, uh, in the ESV we've been reading, he uses the word desires. Uh, another translation for that is, if you've heard it, lusts, right? The lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, and pride of life. Now, when we hear the word lust, we automatically think of sex, right? That's what we think of, but that word doesn't just include that, right? Lust includes any inordinate desire, just this in incredible, intense desire to obtain things. And it doesn't just have to be something associated with sex or sexuality or something like that. It can be associated with anything. Here's a story I might tell uh, if I get time uh, when I bought a bow recently and I saw it and I wanted it and I had this desire to have a new bow. Right? I'm not talking about like a Minnie Mouse thing on my head. I'm talking about like, mm, Legolas, right? Making sure we're on the same page. Buying bows? Minnie's bow shop? You been there? Clubhouse? No. All the parents are like, oh. Let's not talk about Mickey Mouse. Anyway, gosh. So, lust, nor desire, these intense callings, right? And then the phrase used here, instead of desire, we're going to talk about lust for me. He says you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of pride. So, lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is um, these human natures that are corrupted by sin. In lust of the flesh, you have natural desires. Sometimes when we see the word flesh in the Bible, by the way, we naturally translate, some translations do, sinful nature. And it's kind of a, a tricky translation because then it assumes that certain things are naturally sinful, right? All of us have uh, fleshly desires. Again, we all have a natural desire to eat food. That in itself isn't sinful. We have a natural desire to grow angry at injustices. That is not sinful. We have a natural desire to sleep. We have a natural desire to have some sort of intimate relationship with some of the opposite sex, right? Those things in themselves aren't sinful. But what he's talking about here when we use the word lust, 
of the flesh, a lust of the flesh, is when you make this created thing a creator in your life. It is the biggest deal. And so the lust of the flesh would be this thing over here that I want, that I desire. I want to eat all the Oreos. I don't need just two. I need the entire sleeve because I'm David Newton and I can eat the entire sleeve. In fact, we need the package. Don't tell anyone. Right? Uh, all these things. That is the lust of the flesh coming out. I see this thing. I'm going to want it. David saw Bathsheba, right? And he, he wanted her. Then you have, similarly connected, is the lust of the eyes. These are desires that we see. We're all things that we see that we want. See something, we must have it. It's connected with materialism. Again, back to David. He saw that Bathsheba was good. Uh, Eve saw that the fruit was good. We'll talk more about that later. We see these things that we want. Um, Jesus says the eye is what? The lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body is healthy. right? But if the eye is not healthy, then everything is enormous. Right? So the eye is the lamp of the body. Then we have the pride of life. Uh, the Greek word for pride of life kind of connects us to a pretentious braggart. I like the word braggart. It's not something my generation uses much, but uh, uh, a jerk. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 dude, uh, the dude that always has to be the one up. We all know this person. Maybe you are this person, right? Someone tell the story. Yeah, man, the other day I tore my Achilles, so I was playing racquetball. Man, I jumped out of an airplane, broke both legs, tore my Achilles, and my hips out of place. You know, you have the other person's like, yeah, but. I got a month to live. What, like every, you got this one upper. This happens all over. Pay attention to it. It's interesting. You've got these people who just have to be above you, right? Uh, or this person who likes to pretend things are as they're not, right? Their car is the best ever. Makes all the worst noises in the world, but it is the best. I got the flyest ride. Right? This is the pretentious bragger. Anything that gives us pride of life would be, look at the things of the world. They make me feel like I'm important. I'm special. And John is saying what? love these things. Don't love these things. Satan's always using these sort of things to entrap us. I want us to look at scripture to see how this works. Um, we can start with Adam and Eve. God created the world and everything was good, right? And mankind was better than good. It was great. Yes, yeah, very good. Yeah, really exciting stuff. But then God had this rule, don't eat from the fruit, right? We could spend an entire sermon series on that. In fact, I feel like I quote Adam and Eve every time we talk, but it's such a great place to start. And what happens when we get to Genesis 3? The serpent comes, Satan comes, and he says, Did God really say that? No, no, no. If you eat that, you'll be like God, right? He deceives her. She was already like God. She was made in God's image. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. But then the serpent deceives and says, No, no, this will make you like God. Let's listen to what he says. Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, good for food, lust of the flesh, Right? It looked good to her eyes. Lust of the eyes. Right? Uh, desire to make one wise. Pride of life. She took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes were both opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And you see, uh, this is starting for another time, how pride builds on other pride. Right? So they wanted to be wise. They had this pride of life. They ate the fruit. They realized they were naked. So what did they do? They had to sew fig leaves to hide. Right? So I had more pride. More my pot. I don't want things to be as they really are. I've got to sew a suit of fig leaves to make sure no one knows that I'm a failure. Jesus, temptation in Matthew 4. Similar. Um, it's one of my favorite places in Scripture. But I'm going to fly through it. Uh, tempter comes to Jesus. Satan comes to Jesus. What's he say? If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Lust of the flesh. What's the next thing he says to him? He 
says, uh, he will command his angels concerning you, and uh, on their heads they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He's telling them all of this city, right? Pride of life. Then later on, he says in verse 8, again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him the kings of the world and their glory. All these things I'll give to you, lust of the eyes, right? This is something that evil uses. Again, this is all gets really nitty-gritty, like, okay, lust of the eyes, I'll switch. I get it. Quit talking about it, David. Quit saying lust. Uh, it's awkward. Here's the thing. Uh, we all connect with this. Maybe uh, maybe you don't relate to this analogy, but it happens to me every time. Uh, I used to uh, do ministry at a church in Rosito, but I also hunt out in Henley, and I keep finding when we come back from Springfield, we've got to take 54. And we pass through Rosito, and we pass Highway D, and as you're coming down the road on 54, there is this giant culvert sign. Anyone know this sign? It's okay, you understand billboards that have giant signs. So, there's this Culver sign, and it has a chocolate milkshake next to the most scrumptious burger in the world. I don't even know if they make this burger. I mean, it is just something made from the heavens, piled on high, and it has been having a picture taken of it, and they put it on this billboard. And when I drive by it, I experience exactly what John's talking about. I have the lust of the eyes. I see that just greasy, dripping burger, and the chocolatey goodness, and the condensation dripping off the side of the cup. I'm just like, oh, oh, there's not even words now. I'm eating that today, right? And you see it, I gotta have it, right? Plus the eyes, plus the flesh, all of a sudden you're hungry. You need chocolate in your mouth, you need that milkshake. Last night, a friend Reagan was visiting us and something happened, some, some random thing came up about blizzards. Uh, and then we were all like, we gotta, we gotta have it, we gotta go. So Reagan went and brought us, bought us ice cream. Because again, lust of the flesh, oh my gosh, we got have ice cream right now. Pride of life, I'm David Newton. Like, of course, I, you know, I worked out twice this week, deadlifted 295 yesterday, I can eat this, drink this shake and eat this thing, right? We all relate to this. Uh, maybe a similar deeper cut is how we spend our money. Uh, I'll throw in the bow story here. I told you this Wednesday night. So three years ago, I needed to buy a bow, as you do as a man. You go bow hunting. Um, you need to buy a new bow. That's the rules. So I needed to buy a new bow, and we had set it on a budget of $400. That's fair. $400 for a bow. Anyone who bows hunts like but whatever, we, we settled on it. So I'm at the bow shop, I find one that I want, uh, I decide to order on Amazon because it's cheaper, and I get it in the mail, and I pick it up, and it kind of looks all right, but as soon as I pull it back, right, it has a spongy back wall, which doesn't mean anything to those of you who don't have to bow hunt, but what that means is when you pull it back, it doesn't lock. Kind of like, it feels spongy back there. You don't want that. You want to like be, you see Legolas shoot a bow, and he's shooting all the orcs, Lord of the Rings, and he's like there's a solid back wall. So I didn't like that, so I sent it back. And then I, I convinced Nikki, hey, there's this bow for $500. We'll get it, it'll be fine. $500 bow, right? I saw it online, had this lust of the eyes, this pride of life. I deserve this. I'm a bow hunter. I'm going to kill these deer for my family, more meat, right? So we bought this $600 bow. It came in the mail, and it had a solid back wall. <laughs> So I bought this bow, it comes in the mail. Um, I pull it back. Now, in this room, of course, I'm mic'd. Not a big deal. It's a little dog, right? But you're, when you're in the woods, again, if you're in the woods and you don't know anything about hunting, uh, everything in the woods is the quietest thing in the world aside from squirrels. And so when you pull back a bow, that little noise sounds like this in the woods. Right? And so if you're pulling back on a deer, you don't want this, hey, I'm about to shoot at you noise. You don't want that. Right? So I was like, I can't do it. And Nikki was like, it's quiet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, you, know, you don't know, woman. This is a bad thing. I can't lie. I think we just spent $600 or $500 or whatever it was. Uh, we can't do this. Right? So again, I go to a new 
bow shop that opens in Jeff City. And I'm there, and they have a $650 bow. I shoot it a few times, but they had a $850 bow. And every time I shot it, it felt like going home. Uh, just, it was just perfect. Everything about it was wonderful. So we agreed, you know, had this experience. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride for bow uh, This is David. I want this. I need this. The world. This is me. So I buy this bow on our credit card because we clearly can't afford that at the time. Uh, put it on our credit card because we'll pay it back, baby. Don't worry. We'll just, we'll, you know, we'll just put a little more money. We'll put an extra hundred every month for eight months. You know, I do all the budget in my head. And so we do this. Uh, I get this bow. And everything about it shooting is perfect. I practiced with it. It's during bow season three years ago, and I keep practicing with it. And I missed two deer with it. I shot one and never found it, and I could never get the bow sighted in over 30 yards, which might not mean anything if you don't bow hunt, but if you can't shoot at 30 yards with a bow, you shouldn't go hunting, right? I could get it at 20 yards, but everything over that, and I consistently whip my arm with it. And so, like, everything seemed great about this ended up being a problem. And as I tell this story, uh, spouses are hitting each other. That coat you bought, remember that car? We all have these stories where lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh hit us. We can see how Eve saw that the fruit was good. We see these things. And John is imploring us, passionately telling us, he's an old man now, don't love the world. Don't love the world. These things are passing away. They're not going to make it, right? Um, John wants us to know that all these things, these expensive bows, these expensive milkshakes, uh, not expensive, but uh, expensive milkshake, what is that? All these things are passing away, right? John wants us to know that if you're loving the world, you're making commitment and sacrifices for the world, you're reorienting your life, your budget, everything, so you can buy this one thing, you're not showing that you love the Father. It's not possible to do both. But more importantly, this phrase that John says gives me a pause. He says, these things are not from your Father. Do not love the world. These things are all passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of boasting of life. These things are not from your Father. There's an implication here that John wants us to catch. There are things from your Father that are good, and then there are things from the world that are passing away. And the things that you should love are things of the Father. What are things that we know that are from the Father? John tells us it's abiding with Him, right? That, uh, that we get eternal life. Multiple places, John will hit this idea that life is in Christ, that you abide with Him. Uh, from the Father, we get forgiveness. From the Father, we get purpose. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ, and you wonder why you don't know what you're doing with your life, you're never satisfied, it's because you don't understand your purpose. You were created to live abundant life with Christ, to have one with Him. Jesus came to the earth, so they called Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to have a relationship with you. These things are from your Father. And John's pleading with us, don't love the world. I have multiple kids, if you don't know that. And um, I'm constantly fumbling through this parenting thing. And when I hear John say, these things are from your Father, right? I immediately connect with this. Anyone who's got kids can connect with this. You immediately think, man, when you're arguing over something so dumb, I can't think of any analogies, I don't want to embarrass my kids, but when you're just going back and forth about something and they don't see the world as you, you just want to say, those things aren't from me. I know what's best for you. Please listen to me, because when you get older, this pattern is going to wreck you. These things aren't from your father. The things that you're wanting, they're, they're going to pass away, right? 1990s, I wanted all the pogs. My parents got to buy me pogs, got to buy me pogs. If you don't know what pogs are, look them up and you'll laugh at how silly I am. Raise your hand if you know what pogs are. Thank you. Good. Good. I wanted all the pogs. And my parents were just so quick that this, this is silly. Like, this is dumb. And you know what? They passed away. So much so that few people know what they are. Those things weren't for my father. They weren't important. Right? I tell my kids, hey, these things are important. And John is pleading with us. These things are passing away. They're not from your father. Jesus loves you. He wants to abide with you. 
wants to give you eternal life. In John chapter 10, Jesus writes, I am the door. If anyone enters, again, sorry, before I read that, John writes, spent time with Jesus. He wrote the book of John. He also wrote the book of 1 John. You see these similar analogies. This is Jesus talking, John recording it. John chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. He'll take care of us. He loves us, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah, abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down, lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is so committed to you that he offered his sacrifice so that he laid down his life for you so that you can have the right relationship with him, so you can have abundant life, so you can have purpose. And John, knowing this, spending time with Jesus, comes to you and says, don't love the world. Stop loving the world. Those things are passing away. They're not from your father. Your father has things that matter. You must love the father. I started earlier by saying there's a couple kinds of people in this room. Uh, it's possible that you're um, not born again. Uh, it's possible that maybe your love for God has grown cold. Uh, there's some questions that we want to be wrestling with as the band comes forward to play. There's a few things that we want to be considering. Um, do you love the world? Is that something that you could argue and say, you know what, actually, I can see the ways I love the world. We all love the world. I love the world. I bought an $850 bow and I sold it to a guy in Sedalia four months ago, right? Like, we all love the world in various ways, and John's telling us not to. But how do we make that standard? Where do the commitments and sacrifices in your life lie? Are you making commitment and sacrifices around um, the things of this world, the things that you want, the things that you think are important, the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, the pride of life? Are these things taking control over you? Are you making sacrifices for those things? Or are you making sacrifices? Are you making sacrifices for the love that Jesus has for you? Because God says that he loves you, he sacrificed for you, he wants to abide with you, he wants to give you an abundant life. And so if you're here today, and you're in a position where you can tell you're convicted, man, I do love the world. I don't, I don't actually have the love of God in me. I know that. I don't know God. There's no way that you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, oh, I'm just going to start loving God, right? You can't do that on your own. That's why Jesus died for you. That's why uh, that he made that sacrifice, so that we can have a right relationship with him. That's what John 3.16 tells us uh, and on. As we consider and we take a time to worship and we have a time to respond to, we consider what does it mean to love the world? What does it mean to love the Father? Where are the commitments and sacrifices in your life? Are you committing your time, your money, your life, your relationships to God? Do you see those things through your church relationships, through the way you treat other people? Or are you still committing your time, your money, um, your leisure activity into the world, to what you want? Again, these are the words of God. One of the words of God convict us. Do not love the world or the things of this world. Because they're passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. They're all going to be gone. God wants you to abide with him forever. Those who follow him, they abide with him forever. The uh, first thing John writes in John chapter 2, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John wants you to know that if you're in a place where you love the world, you don't know Jesus, and you're struggling to love God, 
that Jesus died for that, that he wants to forgive you and he wants to make you right. And so as we have this time of response, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. If God's moving in your heart, if you're struggling with loving the world, if you don't feel like you're connecting with God the way you should, we want to pray with you, we want to encourage you. You can come pray at the altar, um, these steps here. You know, there's nothing magical about them, but there's a meaning in our hearts behind coming and bowing before the Father and confessing, like we talked about last week, confessing our sins and believing that He will make us righteous. He will make us right. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of worship. As God moves in your heart, you can come. We can pray together and talk about what God's moving in. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us enough to put heavy words over us, to give us um, clear words, things that there's no gray area in. We choose to love you or we choose to love the world. We thank you for showing us what love looks like through your commitment and sacrifice. Pray that we believe in your love, the wild, intense, passionate love that you have for us and that everyone would believe that you love them just as they are, not as they should be. We're never going to be as we should be apart from you. Help us to believe in your love and convict us of areas in our life, ways in our life that we're still loving the world. We're pursuing our own flesh, our own desires. God, I pray your spirit would move.